theyeshiva.net. 13 lines from the bottom. Page, page mem, 13 lines from the bottom. So what was the main point we learned yesterday? That the yesh doesn't exist without the ayin. And that means that if even for one moment the ayin, so to speak, leaves the yesh, it ceases to exist. Not because something has to happen, not because it has to be destroyed and eliminated and obliterated, but because even when it exists, its mitzias is not its own mitzias. Its reality is not its own reality. Its reality is the ayin that brings it into being every single millisecond, every single moment. Well, there's a difference between that and the neshama and the guf because the guf has its own reality, but without the neshama. Right, so the, so the, uh, but as a doimem it exists. It'll decompose ultimately, but that will take time. Right? Here you're talking even a rock, even a doimem, even that which is, so to speak, lifeless. Without the, without the divine energy, it's not just, it wouldn't be able to function as a living organism, right? Whether it's a tree or an animal or a person, etc. But it's very mitzias, it's very, it's very properties, it's, 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 it's fundamental building blocks would cease. Why? Because it has no mitzias outside of the ayin. <coughs> has explained at length the difference between the two concepts of Ilava Alu and Yesh and Ayin. In Ila and Alu, also, you could say, the Ila gives birth to the Alu, right? Like a mother gives birth to a child, like a seed gives birth to a tree, like an egg gives birth to a chicken. But nobody's going to say when the egg is gone, the chicken is gone. <laughs> or when the mother, the hen, the mother hen, who brought out, who, who laid the egg, when she's gone, there's no more egg, or there's no more chick. In Elah it doesn't work that way. Even though without the Elah, it would have never happened. That's true. Without the carpenter, this table wouldn't have been there. But once it's here, it's here independent of the carpenter. Why? Because it has its own mitzias. It has its own identity. What do you mean it has its own identity? Because every Elah was there in the Elah before anybody was there, before the mother, before the... In the original chicken, you already had the blueprint, so to speak, or the potential for every chicken that's going to emerge outside of Kaladiris. I don't know exactly the physics of it. So even though you need the ila, because if not, it remains dormant, right? So you need, you must have the ila to bring out the Allah. But what is it bringing out? It's bringing out something that has its own innate existence, just like the ila itself has its own original progenitor existence, and then it's just brought out. So even after it's brought out, the potential, because it has a metzius, it's not metzius is kol kuloi, completely created by the ila, so therefore even when the ila is not here anymore, it continues to exist. But chidush of yesh is, and it's counterintuitive because we don't, we don't see it that way. Is Yeshmayin literally means ayin. It's not like a metaphor. Yeshmayin means ayin. F- from nothingness. In other words, it's a complete chiddush. The fact that the house was in your mind, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a mind house. That's a, that's a mental house. That's a spiritual house. Huh? Yeah. But the reality of the physicality, that comes from ayin. In other words, it's completely new. So without the ayin, it has no existence. So therefore, when the ayin is gone, it has no existence. And when it exists, it's because the ayin is making it exist. Higgs boson. Higgs boson. They found a few years ago what's called Higgs boson. They call it God's part, the God particle. So, so the Dvar Hashem is, is at the source of all the particles. Now, it's interesting that most of an atom is empty space. That's that I think 99%, maybe even more of an atom is empty space. As somebody once said, 
right? You could essentially take all the matter of this world and fit it in to your carry-on suitcase. <laughs> they used to say in, in Yiddish, the ganze Welt is a schmeck tabak. <laughs> the ganze Welt is a carry-on suitcase. But it's a fascinating thing. All the matter, all the geshem, the real matter, the geshem, the choymer, right, choymer, vahili shoyva chamoyer, the maral says it's choymer. All the choymer of this world, of our planet, could fit into a suitcase. And it's not an exaggeration. <laughs> it's, it's, it's raw science. Our eyes don't do it that way because our eyes can't deal with the smallness of the empty space. So we turn it into a, we copy in our, in our eyes, in our mind's eye and in our eye, we copy the rest of the atom into the empty space and we just say it's a solid reality. But in reality, 99.9 of everything is empty space. And it could be it's connected with, with, with the union of ayin which is the Dvar Hashem that is at the core of, of, of everything. So it's not that Hashem creates a world. So now there's God and there's a world that He creates. It's much deeper than that. It's the, the very nature of reality is the Dvar Hashem. As I gave the example yesterday, again, a very imperfect example with a lot of dissimilarities and a flawed example, but nonetheless, I think, has some value. I read the example years ago from a professor at McGill University, Dr. Yaakov Brower. He's a neuroscientist. And he, was, you know, he wrote a little book called Something from Nothing. So this was his metaphor. It's actually based on Tanya. There's such a metaphor in Tanya, chapter 48, about the, the daydream. That the characters in the daydream are alive and well in my daydream. As long as I think about them. The moment I cease to think about them, they cease to exist. Why? You can have 30,000 or 50,000 people living and sharing and screaming and singing and dancing and, and, and masterminding and innovating all in the mind, or one person or 10 people, and yet the moment the shir is over or the rabbi's sermon is over, and he says, good Shabbos, and everybody wakes up from the daydream, keminig hanagidim hamafersamim, Right? I was once teaching in a yeshiva, I teach the Gemara. So it was a long shir, it was a two hour shir. There was a boy who sat right in front of me, and I saw he's staring at me, but he doesn't hear a word. So once I complimented him, I said, It's a chiddush by me. You sit, you look at me, and I see that you don't, you, you have a rich mind. I was actually, I was impressed. He says, I have 10 years' experience with my father. Has 10 years' experience. I say, your father also gives Musa two hours here. He says, Musa rushes. More than two hours. I got to talk. <laughs> so you sat. He made me look at him. That was part of the chinuch. So I looked at him, but I learned not to hear a word. So I told him, your imagination, it's, 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 it's pretty fertile. I was right. His imagination is very rich. So the imagination can go who knows where, right? As long as the shear is happening, the moment it's over, boom, all the people are gone. So nobody's going to ask, why are they gone? The answer is, because they were never here. Your mind was here, your thoughts were here. They didn't have a reality independent of your thoughts. What makes them real, and very real, is your thoughts. Or to put it differently, it's yesh meyayin. These people don't really exist in your brain, right? They don't really exist in your brain. It's not like your brain is concocting an image of people that actually exist. Now, it's imagination. The example is very imperfect because I'm imagining people that I know. Huh? Both. Here, the yesh, the yesh is not so real, right? It's more ayin from ayin. It's not like you have real people that you could touch, you know? As they say in Yiddish, you can't go to the bank with them. McKenna just gain some bank. So it's also like ayin from ayin. And on the other hand, it's not real yesh me ayin. Because all these people, you either saw them or you know them, you're going to a place that you know, you're on an airplane, you're using ingredients that your mind is already accustomed to, right? We don't imagine stam things. I'm imagining either something I'm scared of or something I'm anticipating. or So it's, it's a very flawed example on both levels. It's not a real yesh and it's not a real ayin. But it does, it does give the example that because... This is yesh me ayin, relatively speaking, right? So therefore, 
they don't exist, my mind exists. My mind is very rich. And as long as my mind brings them into a living existence, they're alive and well. The moment I seize, I don't have to destroy them. I don't have to take a a weapon and kill these characters. (laughs) Why not? Hashem doesn't have to do something to make the world iron. If Hashem doesn't want the world to be, what has to happen? One word, nothing. <laughs> nothing has to happen, <laughs> that's it. Something has to happen to, for creation, because creation is yesh me'ayin. And that gives a whole different perspective on the nature of reality. And that's the word, Dvar Hashem. It's not vayoymer lekim yehi or vayyehi or as something separate. The vayoymer is manifested in the oir, in the rakia, in the tree. The words are morphed, they're morphed. They, they become concretized in the universe that we observe and in all of the universes, that which we observe and that which we don't observe. So, la'olam Hashem, dvarcha nitzav bashamayim, see Hashem svasay tiftach, sehelft. La'olam Hashem, dvarcha nitzav bashamayim, doesn't mean your words have eternal validity. Like what Hashem says is going to happen is going to happen. It's much deeper than that. That's the Baal Shem based on the Medrash. That Dvarcha Vihirakiyah's Nitzav Bashamayim. It stands in the heavens. It doesn't, it's not he said and there's a heaven. Nitzav Bashamayim. What does it mean it stands in the heavens? It's not a bodyguard that stands in the heavens. Nitzav Bashamayim, it continues, it continuously recreates whatever exists, whether it's heaven or any other element in the world. Yeah, in, in Meseches Megillah, so what's the question? Obviously, obviously. Yeah, so when you speak about Seder Hishtalshlus, or the higher worlds giving birth to the lower worlds, right? So that's in terms of the Teuchen, the, 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 the spiritual chemistry Everything in the world has a toichen, a toichen pnimi, it has a message. That theme doesn't begin on the physical level, it begins on a spiritual level. In terms of the yesh, the physical incarnation of it, that's the chiddush of yesh me'ayin. In the higher worlds, the yesh is defined as a spiritual element. You know, that too uh, could be yesh me'ayin. Ah, What yesh is could be in different places, different things. <clears throat> What's the conclusion of all this? So he continues inside. Umeyachar, the line is ukamoykein, yeah? Umeyachar, shekein, if this is the case, the ikimkiman nivru huadvaravaya mahavoysoy, that the main existence of the nivru is the dvar Hashem, haretzichim lahamikulahovin mau ikir mitziyusa nivru kozman kiyuma. So now a person ought to Bimaimik. Bimaimik means to immerse my mind and try to grasp what is the primary reality of the created being when it exists. Had a yuvan al pianal. So, based on what was explained, we'll understand. That its main mitzias is the dvar Hashem that brings it into existence. Why? If the words of Hashem would depart, it would not be a reality at all. So even now it is a reality. Even when it is a reality, what is its reality? Its whole metzius is the Dvar Hashem, Shehu HaOir V'Haziv, which is the Oir. Oir is the light, and Ziv is the radiance, the energy, so to speak, of Hashem. Zehu Kol Metziusai. Ve'enei metzius nifred b'fneyatzma kashenir alano. The way we intuitively look at a world is, there's a universe, it exists, I'm alone, I'm detached, I'm separate. But when you understand and you go deeper into the nature of reality, you realize that there's never a disconnect between the divine and the world. It's mamish einayd malvada. It's it's one mitzvah. It's one reality. Like we said yesterday, it's not like you create a relationship with Hashem. You are one. <laughs> if there is a you, that is divine. That is a divine manifestation. That is the divine light being concretized. 
So it's not that there's two separate things. Elamai, Hashem is the boss. He's the big boss. He created it, so therefore I'm going to follow his, his instruction, so to speak. It's much deeper than that. Right? It says by Avram Avinu, Vayikra Shem B'Shem Hashem Kel Oilam. He planted Vayitayishel B'Vei Shava. In Parshas Vayayi, he planted a, a tree or a garden or built a hotel. There's the two interpretations. Rav and Shmuel. Vayikra Shem B'Shem Hashem Kel Oilam. He called out in the name of Hashem, Kel Oilam. So the Mepharshim Master should have said, Kel Ha'olam. God of the world, Kel Ha'olam. So Balatani writes, Kel Oilam. What Avram Avinu was, Megala was, that Kel and Oilam are one thing. It's not Kel Ha'olam, the God of the world. Kel Oilam, the, it, it, yeah. <laughs> it's not just, I'm the Balabas. This is like, I have my patent. You know, Hashem borrowed some lawyer. I'm the Balabas. I'm the boss. It's much deeper than that. In that sense, there's still two things. There's Hashem and there's me. Kel Oilam means that is the whole Metzius of the Oilam. It's complete oneness. So even when it exists, what is its real Metzius? Its real Metzius is the ayin that's vivifying and animating and giving existence to the Yesh. It's like you'll go back to that mushal. What is the real, what is the real identity of those people in my brain? <laughs> if you break them apart, what is it? It's my neurons, right? <laughs> it's my neurons. Is somebody going to say, for example, you know, right? Again, yeah, right. Of course. Basically, you can say it's somewhat real. Yeah. They 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 they, exi- they certainly they have some realness at least on some level. Yeah, it's not a realness in the sense that I'm touching the physical body of a person, but it's real in the sense that you can get scared, you can get excited, you can get very emotional, you can get jealous, <laughs> you can even get angry. <laughs> you could love them, you can hate them, right? <laughs> if you take, for example, a physical tree, its emergence and its existence comes from the utterance, from the Maimer. On Tuesday of creation it says, From the Maimer that Hashem said there should be an Eitz Pri, a tree that produces fruits. And from this came the whole reality, what do I say reality? The whole chemistry. The chemistry of a tree is incredibly complex and intricate. It's unbelievable, right? Again, we take for granted when you study what it takes to have a tree. You know, you put in a seed into the earth, to the ground. It's another example of Yashmayayan, right? You put in a seed, and then suddenly, a few years later, or even a few months later, a few weeks later, it produces something with food that happens to perfectly replenish your body and give you all the energy that you need together with all the other animals or insects or whatever it is that can live off that. These dynamics and mechanisms have a perfect chemistry to them. But essentially it says it's all the maimer, eights pri. That's the maimer that makes the metzius eights. V'tamid ha-maimer eights pri oimid beha eights. L'havoyser l'chayoyser tamid mayayin liyash. This energy, this dvar Hashem, call it the divine DNA. The divine DNA is, is... The core of the, it's, it's the spiritual or even more the divine chemistry behind the eights. In other words, it's not like you say your genes created you, but now they're gone. Take out from a computer the hardware, the software. <laughs> you say, why doesn't the computer continue to function? It's not a two separate Metziasin. That is the program that it functions. <laughs> it's just done in a way that, uh, what do they say? For dummies, computer for dummies, that simple people can be able to actualize the back-end program in their daily usage. Right? How much programming uh, intricacy and brilliance is in an email address? And if you take out a dot of your email address, it's not going, because each, each letter is just a symbol of a back-end program, whether it's the software, the hardware. So if you have a cell in the person, right, that's like the hardware. <coughs> you have the, the software in the, per- <coughs> the person. So it's not like there's two separate things. There's my genes, and then there's an I that's separate from it. That's a muscle. You continuously, the DNA is 
the continuously the blueprint for life and the source of life. On a deeper level, he says, that's the Dvar If the Maimer, if the divine DNA would depart any tree or any bush or any shrub or any plant or any blade of grass for a moment, it reverts to nothingness. It's not like a little bit would remain. It would be dead, it would be emaciated, it would be dried up. No, there would be no metzius at all like pre-creation. Nimtza, gam achshav sheyeshne metzius eitz, mao metziusoy. So now there is a tree. But if what is the real tree? Hareidak ha-maimer eitz pri levad. It's the energy, the divine energy of eitz pri v'loy metzius yesh levad. I, I see a tree. Why are you saying this? It says, ve'ilu nitner yishus la'ayin lirois. If we had microscopic eyes, or as he puts it, if the eye would have permission to see when you would look at reality, you would see bittel. What says you would see bittel? That its whole metzius is a manifestation, an outgrowth, of the Dvar Hashem, our eyes, which are also being vivified every moment by the Dvar Hashem. And they become eyes of flesh. So they have the retina, the eye, the brain has its sensors and its kalim and its way of detecting reality. My physical eye doesn't pick up ayin. <laughs> doesn't pick up ayin. Eidon uroyim to say that my physical eye should look at something and see the Dvar Hashem, I don't. That's not a mistake. That's also part of the Ratzon So there could be the whole Avoida, the whole experience of Bittel Hayesh La'ayin. And for that, there's a Yesh. And my eye picks up a real Yesh, not Ayin. <laughs> there was somebody once said in France, years ago, a few centuries ago, he was an atheist, and he said, that he has the best telescope in the world, and he looked everywhere with his telescope, and he couldn't find God. Obviously doesn't exist. So there was a violinist in France, and he said that he took apart his violin, and it became disintegrated, and now it was tiny little particles, and he looked everywhere for music, and he couldn't find, he couldn't find music. <laughs> Obviously there's no music. <laughs> so, or as somebody once said, with your eye, you could see a lot of things. The eye never saw the eye. <laughs> Unless I'm looking in the mirror, my eye never saw my eye. Eye as in E-Y-E, but also eye as an eye. So my eye sees you. But the source of what allows it to see you, it doesn't see. So the Dvar Hashem is so sensitive, it's so subtle, it's at the core of everything. But the way the eye makes sense of reality, it has its limits. We know that even within the physical world, forget Dvar Hashem, there's colors that we don't see. There's sounds that we don't hear. And the reason is, you know, there's birds that see different colors than we. They're very rich colors. Not because the colors don't exist, but because the spectrums, the electromag- what they call electromagnetic fields, in which the light travels from a source, every light travels in a certain frequency. And if my eye doesn't have those uh, detectors, those sensors, those lenses to pick it up. So what do I say? It doesn't exist. I don't say it exists and I'm dumb. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't like doing that. It doesn't exist. In other words, I reduce existence to my Caleb. So my eyes look at a table, I put it on the table. If you have a microscope, you see a whole different reality here. And it's not that you're lying. You're doing the best with the tools you have. The tools you have pick up this reality. And that's also part of the Ratzon Abayre. Every layer of reality that's perceived is part of how Hashem created the world with these particular tools and sensors and detectors to be able to define reality in this way. And that's the difference between Atzillus and Briya, Yitzira, Asiya. It's different tools, different eyes, different pairs of glasses through which you pick up reality. In real reality... In other words, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as is, infinite. Everything would appear as is. One, divine, ain't safe, and infinite, and interconnected. But the doors of perception are not cleansed. The doors of perception are the way the physical eye picks up reality. 
So therefore, we live in this duality. On one hand, the yesh is real, and he says, that's the Ratzon Abayde, B'chdeshiyah, Bittal HaYesh Layet. So there's the Avayda of aligning the yesh with the ayin. It's not like there's no yesh, so there's no Bittal. No, there is. It's shedding the layers of the yesh as something separate and revealing its truth. And that's a daily and hourly Avayda Sashem. In the mind's eye, one could and should detect the deeper truth. What I'm looking, and I call this a physical world, it's not a physical world, it's a divine world. You're not a physical person, you're a divine person. It's a maimer eloki. It's Hashem being manifested, God's light being manifested through every single Bria. He calls it Ene HaSeichel, the mind's eye, but Iyas HaSeichel. There's a sefer called Beis Rebbe, it's a biography of the Balatanya. It was written by a Yid named Rebchaimeyer Hillman, he was a kapus to Chosetz. He tells a story there, in the last days of the Balatanya, he told his grandson at Tzemach Tzedek. He looked up and he said, I don't, I don't see the kaira. I don't see the, the rafter. I see the dvar Hashem that's mechayet. They say that the Koshnitz Amagad on his deathbed, Rabbi Yisrael of Koshnitz, um, uh, he told his son that, uh, a chapshinish can give. In, in Polish, he said, can give. I don't have a body. So his son touched his father's hand and he says, Tata, I see the body. He says, The tops mit gif, zest the gif. The tops mit gif, zest the gif. Which means, you're, you're touching me with your body, so you see the body. <laughs> it, it, it's really a matter of... He wasn't, he wasn't talking about a different world. It's, it's so true. The tools we use to define reality defines reality. <laughs> That's how it is. And that becomes reality. I once told you a marshal comes from Heisenberg. He actually gave it about quantum mechanics. He said that there was a fisherman. He was actually, I think, mocking Einstein. And this is one of the areas where Einstein was proven wrong. Not many areas, but one of them. And uh, so his marshal was that there was a fisherman who wanted to ascertain the size of fish in the Pacific Ocean. So he put in a net... And the net lifted up, the, he picked up the net after a few weeks or a few months, and he came out with a declaration that there's no fish that's smaller than nine inches. And he was the laughing stock of humanity. In your living room, you have goldfish that are smaller than nine inches. And then they realized that the holes in the net were nine inches. There's no fish smaller than nine inches. He wasn't lying. The holes in his net were nine inches. It's a very profound metaphor because what it means is the instruments I use to define reality will define the reality. And in my mind, I am scientifically absolutely objective, authentic, accurate, and truthful. Now, we all have nets with which we define reality, everybody. Very nice. The light that a person reflects at night or transmits at night, what is it called? Infrared. It's actually emits. Our regular eyes can't pick it up. So in the middle of the night I look at you, I can't see you. I don't even see you're there. One in Mishnah is one of the Samanim for Krishna, right? Mishayakir is chaveire birichuk dalad amas v'yakirenu. If it's light enough that somebody, an acquaintance, is standing not right near me, because then I'll see you in the middle of the night, but if you're standing more than dalad amas away, six feet, eight feet, twenty feet, and I could recognize you, that's a simon that it's not enough light to be able to say Krishna. But in the middle of the night... If you have those binoculars, then you could pick up the light. So it's always, you have to always ask myself, I have to ask myself, what are the kalim I'm using to define reality? And it's also true in relationships, even more true, right? Everyone has a, a net through which you define your wife, your husband, your children, your loved ones, the people near you. You fit into a certain, <laughs> there's, a, there's a way how I define the people around me. And I may have holes in them, but I don't know that. <laughs> Very few people go back to the instruments that they're employing to define reality. They say, this, this is reality. I know it's reality. Could we just look at the tools you're using to define reality? It's not so easy to do because those tools are very deep. Once you have that net, all the fish 
will be larger than nine inches. There's no arguing with that. But do you have the courage to go back and say, what is the net that I'm using in life? The physical, the emotional net, the psychological net, the scientific net. Because that will, that will determine reality. So, 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 Ene Basar, the physical eyes, have a certain structure. They pick up certain levels of reality. Even without the whole beat of Dvar Hashem, why don't I see any atoms? I'm looking at the table. You know how many atoms there is in this cup of tea? You know how many atoms there's in a drop of water? You know how many atoms there's in a needle? Why don't I see anything? All I see is, not only I don't see it, I see the opposite. I see a solid piece when really atoms are dynamic and there's tremendous movement and, and you have billions and trillions and zillions, sectillions of atoms moving in perfect harmony, every atom with the other atom and within every atom itself, there's a whole system of subatomic particles and you have the electron and you have hakafis, you don't see anything of it. Why, I'm lying? No, I don't have microscopic eyes. My eyes... <laughs> Yeah, you even look up at stars. They look tiny, right? Looks like the stars are like Chinese checkers. It looks like a, a little chulun bean, right? Those stars are not only bigger than the earth, they're bigger than the sun. Those stars. And what do your eyes do with them? Your eyes turn them into a little tiny uh, chulant, uh, an egg. So what's pshat? The pshat is that our eyes, when there's something so small, so tiny, it puts it together, it creates a solid table out of it. Now is it real? <laughs> It's real for my ears, it's real for my for my, my hand, and it's real in the sense that you could sell it as a table, you don't sell it as an atom. <laughs> I don't know how much you could charge for that. So it's different layers of reality. When the eyes are, so to speak, refined, and they pick up the true energy of reality, what would you see? You would see the Metzius. What's the Metzius? The Metzius is that the whole universe and every single nivra is the Dvar Hashem that's being Mechayet and Mahavit, and the physicality too. The physicality is just the manifestation of that Tvar When a person really tunes into this, there could be a Hargosha. The person can relate to something as though you see it. You know, when something is real, even if my eyes don't define it, but it becomes real. And it's true in every person. You know, when two people look at the same reality, what do you see? People see different things. Two people look at the same person, what do you see? Two people look at the same piece of Gemara, the same story, the same occurrence. They're two completely different perspectives. Why? Because the question is, how much is your keli open to the reality of it? There's layers and layers and layers and layers. What do you see in a person? person speaks, yeah? A child speaks to you. One person says, chutzpah. Right? That's what he heard. Another person is a little deeper. He says, oh, pain. Who's right? Is it chutzpah or is it pain? Depends who's the principal. Another person sees a need for attachment. Huh? Love. Asking for love, right? He's a good therapist. But another person says, chutzpah, arais. And he's right. <laughs> and it depends on my own tools, how I deal with myself, what I see in myself. Am I a mechutzef? Or do, am I looking for love? What I see in me, I'll see in you. It's always everything has to do with that. So the same is true with the whole world, the whole universe. Now when you think about Einoid Mulvada, so now I ask a question. If somebody tells you I'm alone, I feel alone, is anybody going to give you advice? I have a great idea for you. Somebody says, I need a friend, I need a relationship, I want to connect with somebody, I want to, you know, build a house, I want to have, get married, whatever it is. So you say, I have a great idea for you. Why don't you just sit, close your eyes, concoct a daydream, daydream about somebody, and you'll build a relationship with them in your daydream. They say, no, <laughs> it's not going to work. You're still going to be alone afterwards. Why? You have 30,000 people here, you're not alone. And the answer is, because they're all part of you. Since they're all part of you, so therefore, you're still alone. So the bitl hayesh la'ayin, the yesh that we see, creates It's not a mistake that we see a world in which you don't see the Dvar Hashem. That's part of the tachlis, that's part of the avoida. That the relationship with Hashem happens through the perception of otherness. On one level, there is a world. The Dvar Hashem creates the world, and the world is a yesh. 
on another level, does it take away Hashem's oneness? <laughs> doesn't take away Hashem's oneness. Like all the characters in my daydream, I'm still alone in the room. There's no 30,000 people in the room with me. I'm in the room. So in that sense, the achtos is like before the Bria. Because it's all one. And yet, from our perception, we see what seems like a very separate and fragmented and detached world. This also gives us an appreciation of the whole union of Avedis Hashem. What Avedis Hashem is? Serving Hashem. Everybody knows one of the things the Baal Shem Tev emphasized a lot was the union of simcha, joy. But the Yiddishkeit should be practiced with joy and passion and enthusiasm. So there are those who make a mistake who think that it was just a cultural thing. Meaning, there were those who felt that, you know, Judaism should be more somber or more serious or more, uh, I don't know if the word is fakvetch, not fakvetch, but more mechuvatz, um, constricted, and you know, every emotion should be measured, v'chuli, v'chuli. And the Hasidim created a culture, you know, <laughs> bring up b'selechayim, et lekach, met schnapps, ayotzeit, good, nachatikon, celebrate life. It's more a form of, you know, chill out, so to speak. Don't take yourself so seriously, and uh, let's go for atensel, uh, etc., the truth is, it's a much, it's a much deeper union. <laughs> it has to do with this: the Baal Shem Tev was was being megala pnimiyus atayra, pnimiyus atayra sanister. Pnimiyus atayra is megala that the relationship between a person and Hashem is not one that's defined only in terms of subservience. That's a very, that's a very limiting way of defining it. It's really on the kud of achtos. If I tell somebody, you're going to be a slave your whole life, but you know what? It's worth it. You're going to be a slave for 99 years, but when you finish that, you're going to have eternal bliss. So even if I take you seriously, and it's true and all that, but sof sof, those 99 years have an element that's depressing. Or as there was a philosopher, he didn't like Jews, his name was Voltaire. He once said, if there is a God, I want to be him. <laughs> if there, I want to be him. Mechaya <laughs> HaMesim. I want to be Mechaya HaMesim. HaMamlech Melachim Veloyam Lucha. Right? I want to be Mamlech Melachim Veloyam Lucha. Sof kol sof, it's an element of subservience. Emotionally, it's difficult. The Baal Shem Tov was Megala Disnekhuda. Of Einoid Mulvada. Avoidus Hashem doesn't mean you put yourself aside. I don't care who you are. Surrender to the big master and you'll get Elam Haba for that. No. Avoidus Hashem actually means a relationship with yourself. <laughs> so Avoidus Hashem is celebrated in a different way. It actually means a way of living in which you're aligned with you. That's what Bittl means. Bittl means not you nullify yourself for the sake of a big God because he's stronger than your tati and he's bigger than you and he's more powerful and he'll reward you. And it's for your benefit. Avodah Hashem actually means alignment with the ultimate self. That's what Bittl means. Bittl means you shed the layers and the perceptions of self as though you're disconnected as though you're alone, as though you're detached, as though you're external. It means actually tuning in to your own real mitzias, your deepest mitzias. So when you ask, what is the blueprint of Torah for life? The blueprint of Torah for life is basically a blueprint that allows life to be lived in a way that is consistent with its true chemistry, with its true essence. So the whole attitude is a different attitude. So it's not that Yiddishkeit is this heavy burden that God placed on me and I'm a slave, but there's a good, good reward coming after. And there's also a lot of benefits, you know, while you're, while you're a slave. You work for me, but there's benefits. You know, I give you maybe some benefits. I'm not always, but there's good stuff on the way. You work in my house, you know, there's a nice, there's, there's good, there's a good Shabbos meal. There's a lot of benefits. Good to breakfast. You mean homosexuality? You're asking a wonderful question. What happens if a person's self says absolutely not? Uh, my self is not a reflection of you. 
I have my own desires that are completely maybe contrary to what the Torah says about a person, right? Gvaldegakasha. So it's a very sensitive question. I'll just say one akuda. An akuda is that uh, there's two levels in Avedis Hashem. Something called the skafia and something called the sapcha. We spoke about it many times. Skafia means to subdue. The sapcha means to transform. It's not two opposite things. It's two layers in reality. <clears throat> what do I mean two layers in reality? The doctor tells me there's diabetes in my family, which the doctor told me. And therefore I have to be careful with sugar, which the doctor told me. <laughs> I'm not just giving a marshal from uh, Rakia Hashvi, right? But you go in here, Baruch Hashem, in the morning, and there's always a yard site, yeah? And somebody always prepares, not cucumbers. I don't know why they don't prepare cucumbers. They prepare sprinkle cake and brownies and uh, rum, rum balls. What are those balls called? Those toxic balls that can kill you on the spot? <laughs> they have like chocolate. Those are, uh, with cho- yeah, layers. Chocolate, chocolate, like the babushkas. What are those called, those balls? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, instead of celery, that's what they have, right? I see it. And I may want it. I may want it. Not I may. I want it, right? I want it. All the philosophies in the world won't help. I want it. Such a moment calls what they call the skafia. Skafia means, say, listen, <laughs> you want to live or you want to die? When you eat it, I get it. When I eat it, I already get into a bad mood. You want to be in a bad mood? You want to be in the bathroom for a few hours? Huh? Oh. So even though, but I want it. But it's not a subjugation that is, that is torturous because it's a subjugation where I understand very clearly that my, my, my gums, my, uh, my saliva, my abdomen, my, uh, my body has a certain craving. But right now, this craving is not going to be worth it. So that's a very logical thing everyone makes when you, people wake up in the morning. They also maybe they're the one who wake up in the morning. You want to sp- press snooze. Huh? It may not change the craving at all. That's what a scafia means. I have a craving. I have a craving. But knowing that it's really destructive for me, is it really worth it? I could sleep in bed also, not wake up in the morning. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to get a paycheck on Friday, right? I'm just, why do people get out of bed in the morning? Whatever your motivation is. I need a partner. I want to support my wife and kids. That's more important than the sleep, even though it's hard for me to wake up in the morning. We always make these calculations, yeah? You take out a splinter from your child. Your child is screaming, right? You don't tell them it's geschmack. But you know the alternative is an infection, and an infection is going to be much more painful, chas v'shalom, than taking out the splinter. We all do these things in life constantly where you delay gratification, or you postpone it, or you ignore the gratification. Why? Because you understand that your reality is going to regret it, and, and what you really want is you want to live. You, more than cheesecake, you want to live, you want to be healthy. right? And we're talking about a person who's functional and, and likes their life. I'm not talking about somebody... Khalila, who's in a terrible, uh, depressing state. But there's a much deeper, and, 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 and if I'm there, that's what I have to acknowledge. I have to acknowledge that's where I am. There's a much deeper place. And a deeper place is that I'm not always there is. When a person actually works out their stuff and goes deeper into themselves, ultimately, those cravings that are not producing and are not helping me be me, become sometimes, and we know this in our life, they become mias. They become completely irrelevant. That's called a sapcha. That's called transformation. Whenever a person, we all have taivas. We all have taivas cravings that are not consistent with the Dvar Hashem. But if the person was truly, whether it's intimate stuff or other stuff, when a person is truly, truly working on themselves and worked out, we shed another layer, another layer, another layer. And what yesterday was so tempting, today becomes irrelevant. There's a person, right, who needs alcohol for their health, for their, for their happiness. Is this really, really, really what their soul is looking for? Now, I know this in the, in the, in the, in the world, this is, this is controversial. But if you look at many, many sexual desires of people, right, it's considered as, this is what you want, is the color of your eyes. But if you go a little deeper, 
and you ask them about their life and their past and what they went through, I think in most cases you will identify that there may be wounds or traumas that contribute to it. So now I could tell somebody, this is what you want today, this is who you are. But that's a very, very superficial way of looking at it. How do you know this? Because most of these marriages, really most, I think more than 90%, end up in divorce. Why? Because there's an underlying pain that's not being addressed. So it's much, much more kind when I tell the person, let's really find out who you are. Now, when I'm standing in front of that craving, I may not have the time or the patience for that. That's when I have to say, this is the wrong thing, I'm not going to do it. But in the process of life, a person does have the ability to work on themselves, and then we see slowly we shed more external cravings that eclipse our truer and innate desire. A craving of Kedusha is something that 80 years from now, in Olam Haza and in Olam Habel, still be there. Because it's something that your soul wants. It's something that the you really, really is connected to. But there's other stuff. What if I'm wounded? What if I need to distract myself? What if I'm bored? What if I'm lonely? What if I don't like myself? What if I want validation? Remember, there's many of us who do things our whole life that are not good for us. But we need it. It's filling some type of void. And that void becomes a major, major catalyst for all these types of behaviors. And once I'm entrenched in it, I say, this is who I am. It's not who I am. It's actually who I am not. It's actually running away from me. It's running away from myself. And we all have that because we live in this duality. I don't live in a world of, of, of seeing my infinite oneness. But imagine somebody wrote a book. What would you be doing if you had no fear? <laughs> if you had no fear whatsoever, what would your life look like? You know? Would it be different? And a lot of people, maybe 50% of things they would do, they're not doing because of fear, whether they feel it or not. So when a person says, this is who I am, this is who I am, is a very, uh, I think it's, a, it's an impoverished statement about who I am. It's what I'm feeling right now, based on all of the equations of my life till now, this is my craving. Can, can, we, can we dissect it a little bit? Can we see what's behind it? Can it be possible that this is all a coping response to my experiences in the past and this is my best way to cope? If a person is always getting angry, always getting angry, there's people who lose their temper and their fuse a few times a day. You ever met such people? Huh? (laughs) Okay. And a person tells their wife, this is who I am. I'm an angry, I'm an angry mishugana. Take me or leave me. Yes, once a week I throw dishes. Troy, Rashi will throw you out of the house. But uh, but there's a therapist who told me that, uh, Mr. Lamb told me that uh, somebody once came to him, a couple once came to him, and the problem was that he, once a month he loses it, and he throws dishes in the kitchen. He throws dishes. And his wife says that she lives in perpetual fear, 24 hours of fear. So the husband is sitting there, he says, why? It's only once a month. <laughs> it's brilliant Gemara, right? You see he's learning Gemara, right? It's only once a month. It's Bekvias, once a month. So she says, yeah, but I don't know when. <laughs> it's not like on the calendar, you know, Wednesday morning, you know, 8.35, when I finish davening and dafyoimi, I lose it. <laughs> His vessels. At least make a vessels, right? But there's still... It's not a bad idea if you could only do it that way. But we know even with God's vessels, it's not so predictable. And this is the Yetzirah's vessels. She says, it's only once a month. She says, yeah, but I don't know when. So 24 hours a day I'm living. Maybe this is going to be the moment of Geula of, or of, of, of Churban, right? What's the, my point? So a person says, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is how I function. This is not who you are. This is who you became due to a terrible wound that you never have. Whatever it may be, for you this means survival. And when you go into this place, you're literally a crocodile. You're in your, what they call the reptilian brain or mammalian brain. You're not in your human brain. You're not. And it's not about judgment. On the contrary, it's about identifying. What's the greatest favor you can do for such a person? 
The great way to do it is if we could, if we can go through those layers that are defining who I am and covering who I am, and ultimately, I want to help you and me go back to the place where you are a manifestation of divine infinity in this world, do you think this anger is necessary to your survival or maybe it's the greatest impediment for your self-expression? Now, when I'm getting angry, I can't do any of this. I just want to break every window. All I can do is a scafia. The scafia means you saw what happened last time when you threw the pot. So don't do it. But I'm angry. Okay, go to the garage, take a bat, and your tire is there 300 times. Do 92 push-ups, right? And you'll be fine. Run around the block, you know, 65 times. This is good. But ultimately, there's a sabcha. This sabcha means going much deeper. So I think, you say, a person's nature is not consistent with this. That's a very, uh, it's a very true thing, but it needs a lot of, a lot of MS Dicker research. Am I really open up to everything in my reality? First of all, am I aware? It may be preverbal, it may be unconscious. And, but if I could look at everything. So the real truth is that the true nature of a human being is aligned with Hashem's will. Not because not because I want reward. But the reason there is reward is, it's a tzah, right? You don't serve God because it's a reward. The reason there is reward is because you're in touch with reality. <laughs> yeah. Schar mitzvah is the mitzvah. So the Balatanya Taichin, who's schar mitzvah mitzvah? Some say the reward mitzvah, you'll do another mitzvah, you'll get more schar. He says, no, the biggest schar of the mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. It's like somebody would say, why should I have a good marriage? Oh, because the challenge will be much better. Uh, because her father will give you money. <laughs> the schar of a good marriage is what? A good marriage. <laughs> There's no better schar than that. The schar of a good relationship is not, her father will take you Pesach to hotel if you treat his daughter nicely. I don't know if you want to be with him, Pesach, but whatever. You'll figure it out. <laughs> if he's paying for the hotel, why not? Schar mitzvah mitzvah is the biggest schar of the relationship is the relationship. It's, it's, are there other benefits? Yeah, there's a lot of other benefits. <laughs> the house is clean, you have good meals, there's laundry. Whatever the benefits are, physical, spiritual, emotional. But the biggest benefit is the benefit itself. Say so the schar of having a good relationship with your child, investing in your child is, the schar is that when you're in an old age home, when you're 95 years old, he'll pay for it. Nebach. The schar is the Indian itself. The biggest schar of the relationship is the relationship. Because it's so powerful and good, therefore there's all the schar. Yiddish is not about schar. The Rambam has a lotion, Hilchas Chuvah Perik Yud. Oisa es ha-emes mipnei emes. So somebody asked me, the Rebbe doesn't make sense. He says, do it because it's truth, but don't worry, the reward is going to come at the end. <laughs> so again, it's like, don't do it for the reward, but don't worry, I'm going to pay you. <laughs> but they're missing the point. What the Rebbe is saying is, truth also brings all the rewards in the world. If it's true, if it's true, it's going to pay you off. Not as a motivation, because it's true. If something makes you happy, if something is aligned with you, it's going to make you healthy in this world, in the next world. If you're living a life based on who you really are, based on real alignment, it's going to feel good physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually in this world, in the next world. You're not living with blockages. You're not living with, I'm not living in my traumas. It's an end result. It's not the motivation. So if there's a sense of this me and this God, now the question is, how much am I ready to give up? That's a very, ultimately, it can be a depressing Yiddishkeit. But when you're Megala, then it could have enoid Mulvadoi, like the Basham do, you say, God is Alts and Alts is God. You are the Dvan Hashem. There's no separate. You are Einstik, Achdus Hashem. So then the whole Avedus Hashem is a different type of Simcha. 
It's the ultimate self-expression. Bittel is not self-nullification. Yeshus is self-nullification. The Herst. Yeshus is self-nullification. Bittel is self-expression. I never said that before. It just came out. Huh? Yeshus is self-nullification. Nebach. You're taking a beautiful mitzias and you're destroying it by turning it into some arrogant, arrogant, pitiful creature who has to be arrogant. That, that's self-nullification. That's a chorban. Bittel. Bittel is self-actualization. <laughs> it means you're, you're expressed. You're expressed. And yet it's also the ultimate humility because the you that's expressed is the divine glory manifested in you coming out. It's the Dvar Hashem coming out. And there's, it's oneness. It's not two separate things. There's God in the sky and there's me and He's controlling me. No, He and you. You are Him. <laughs> he's you. You're Him. It could be, everything could be dangerous. That's why monotheism came before this. Monotheism was the Amunah Bashamayim Imal. But then there's Allah Mitachas Einoid. Because this can also become, you know, there's, there's the Spinoza's idea, there's nothing outside of nature and there's nothing outside of me. But this is much deeper. It's not saying there's nothing outside of me. It's not saying there's no God outside of me. It's saying there's no me outside of God. <laughs> Right, Chazal say, "Who mekaymer shall oylam ve'ein ha'oylam mekaymer." Baruch Hamakam, Baruch Hu, who mekaymer shall ve'ein oylam mekaymer. Did I answer your question, Rabbi Avram, or not really? <laughs> I didn't think so. No, I have to be honest with who I am. If I'm angry, it doesn't help to say I'm not angry. I have to be honest. No, no, I am aligned, but if I'm wounded, I'm not aligned. If I'm wounded, I create a coping mechanism in order to cope. And we all have coping mechanisms. We have, some people detach emotionally. Is that who they are? Bessel van der Kolk told me that they're discovering in medicine that mental illness may be caused by trauma. That's a crazy revolution in medicine. It was always, you have a chemical imbalance, bipolar, schizophrenia, psychosis, whatever it is. You have a chemical, and there's medication, and medications can do Yeshua's for people. He says they're identifying more and more that much of it may be associated, in, may be rooted in trauma. That's crazy stuff. I said, what do you mean? It means, for example, bipolar, it was too painful to stay in reality. So what did I do? So now I'm not in reality anymore. Suddenly I'm a Shiach. Tomorrow I'm depressed. So what that means is that sometimes you're looking at an illness and what you're really identifying is unbelievable pain that produced a coping mechanism that turns me into a sick person. Really, what is it saying? What Really what he's saying... Of course it's vivid. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not minimizing, I'm not minimizing any of it. I'm not minimizing addiction either. But we all know in addiction, people who are really addicted, I told you, Dr. Tversky told me, the addict, uh, addicts among us are the most spiritual people. The chocolate Danishes didn't do it for them, so they had to run to crazy addiction in order to satisfy their voids. So what is it? I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a relationship. I'm looking for attachment. I'm looking for God. That's not going to end, even when I become sober, on the contrary. The, the, the addiction is not the problem. The addiction is the solution. <laughs> you understand? People say addiction is the problem. No, the addiction is the solution. I'm running away from a problem. That problem I have to identify. As long as I don't identify that problem, I'll never be able to be aligned. So it's not about lying. I have to be very honest. I may be struggling with a crippling, crippling addiction. Or crippling, crippling craving that, or, or depression or anxiety. These are serious stuff. It's not I snap my fingers and I say, I'm the Dvar Hashem. Abracadabra kadu. I have no depression. Halavai. It doesn't work that way. But the question is, if for 40 years certain belief systems have become ingrained in my psyche, I can't snap my fingers and undo them. But essentially, if I could start shedding the layers, and really going back to a core innocent self that is not trying to cope and survive through all these methods, but really wants to be fully, fully expressive in its most authentic way, 
you will find that goodness is not superimposed. Goodness is innate. Godliness is innate. When it says, You should love Hashem with Yetzirah. It's a mission and brachas. What does that mean? Love Hashem with Yetzirah. Yetzirah, as you say, wants cigarettes, doesn't want God. This Yetzirah is LGBT. This Yetzirah is, 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 is jealousy, whatever it is. I want money, I want fame. I don't want God. So it's another Mishnah. It's another Mishnah. What does it really mean? It really means if you could take the Yitzhahara by the hand and instead of telling him, what's wrong with you? Ask him, what happened to you? What happened to you? And if he opens up, if he trusts you, you'll see that the big monstrous Yitzhahara also wants God. He also wants truth. But this became his substitute for truth because he's trying to survive. Figure out what happened. Yeah, I don't now, you know, I don't want to go to the other extreme and suddenly justify every criminal. That's not the point. Because at some point I have to take responsibility for what I'm doing. I can't say, you know, I had a very miserable childhood, I'm now going to start shooting everybody, which people do. This is where chinuch comes in. Values. There's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil. That's so important. Somebody, a woman called me, she wants to take out her kids from all the Jewish institutions, put them in public school. She's so disappointed with the whole chinuch system and this. I said, listen, I get you, I understand, there's a lot of children suffering, a lot of problems, but I just want to tell you one thing, and that is, in the Jewish school system, the Orthodox, or not even Orthodox, but the Jewish school system, right? From Solomon Shechter to Satmer. From Vizhnitz to uh, Lakewood, from Ashar to uh, uh, whatever, he feels the Papa, Malchus Papa, Midger, Midbabiv, Mid. Everybody, right? I went to all these, a lot of these schools. I never saw a metal detector. I never saw a metal detector. Not in Vizhnitz, not in Satma, not in Lubavitch, not in Babiv, not by the Yeshivish, not by the Litvish. There's no metal detector. Not by the modern Orthodox, not in Teaneck, not in Englewood. No metal detectors. You will not, not Salman Shechter even. <laughs> you won't find a public school today that doesn't have a metal detector. So I said, I'm not telling you our system doesn't need a lot, a lot of help. It needs a lot, a lot, a lot of help. But realize that nobody's worried that the Satma boy, or Chabad boy, or Litvish boy, or Yeshivish boy, or Baba boy is coming in. I don't like my Rebbe. <laughs> will take down 26 kids. Even though he's been diagnosed, he's on the spectrum. He's been diagnosed, this kid. We all know kids who have been diagnosed in our community. Right? You remember that kid in, 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 in Sandy Hook? They said he's autistic, so he killed 26 kids. Autistic people don't kill. <laughs> autistic people are very special people. If they're taught values, if they're taught, so this is why education is so important. Right, wrong. Right? So that's on the level of Escafia. So you want to break a window, so you don't break a window. But ultimately, ultimately, so that's why I'm careful, you understand? It's not here to say every criminal is really a tzaddik. The Hamas blows himself up because he's suffering from Israeli, uh, the Israeli apartheid state. But what we are saying is that we want to go a step deeper and help people shed their layers and then you discover that the authentic state of a person is a person is a yid is a and the whole is dvar Hashem so living in alignment with Ratzin Hashem means living in alignment with reality with yourself it's with your genes it's with your blueprint if I eat foods yeah, my nutritionist says you can't eat these foods they, they're against your blood type they don't agree with your blood type your genes will not agree with them. And I'll say, I don't care about my genes. What do you mean you don't care about your genes? You are your genes. <laughs> a boy once told me, I don't want my genes to interfere with my life. <laughs> I told him, I hate to tell this to you. Your genes are your life. Your genes are not interfering with your life. So somebody says, I don't want God to interfere with my life. I hate to tell this to you, but that is your life. <laughs> He's not interfering with your life. <laughs> we look at God sometimes in a very abusive way. You know, some tyrant, some dictator, 
who's trying to be a boss and he's very rough and he's very harsh. What this Maimah is teaching you is that all the love you're experiencing, the very self, the whole reality, that is a manifestation of, of Hashem. Okay, we'll stop here. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.